0: Imagine a world where your phone is too big for your hand, where your doctor prescribes a drug that is wrong for your body, where in a car accident you are 47% more likely to be seriously injured, where every week the countless hours of work you do are not recognized or valued. If any of this sounds familiar, chances are you're a woman. This month for the Ladybug Podcast Book Club, we read Invisible Women Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. In this episode, we'll discuss our thoughts on the book, what shocked us, what felt a bit forced, and have a discussion
1: around gender bias in the world around us. First, a couple of quick disclaimers. Some of the topics we discuss relate to sexual assault and may be difficult for some listeners. Second, we're not looking to attack anyone for who they are, how they were raised, what gender or sex they are. We're simply just going to be discussing the topics in the book. We'll be quoting several studies and bits of data which you can refer to in the book Appendix for more information. Let's jump right in.
0: Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry.
2: First, I think it's important to note, and something that kept jumping out at me when I was reading this, is that I don't think that there was a great distinction between gender and sex by the author, and I think that there was some problematicness to that, that um, she kind of used them interchangeably and also didn't do enough to discuss the impact on trans or non-binary people who definitely even probably have some magnified versions of what we read in this book um, for some of these examples. And so I think it's really important to note that before we start. Another thing that I want to talk about is that we are all white woman. And so the implications of data bias on the three of us aren't fully representative of the impact on all women. And there were some examples of data bias on um, women of color in this book and how it was magnified for them. But I personally, and I think all of us can say this as well, is that we would have loved to see more discussion of that in this book. So essentially, the discussion we're going to have today is only representative of us as uh, three cis white women, not all women, we can't speak for women of color or trans women or non-binary people, but this conversation um, needs to be had. And I think this book is still important despite its downfalls.
1: Yeah, I would I would love to see an updated version in the future, though. I think, you know, we're in 2020 now. And I think I personally was a little shocked that this wasn't inclusive of all women. I agree. Uh,
0: I th- I do I do want to yeah. say like these the the two original points we made were mentioned in the preface of the book but <laughs> first of all a lot of people skip the preface and they go straight to the first chapter so there are probably some people who didn't even read that part of it and second I think it really goes to show with the data that's available as as we're going to be discussing through this uh, this conversation going through the book you know the the lack of female representation in these studies it's even more noticeable for you know trans, intersectional, uh, non-binary women of color. Like you, they, like there's so much of an absence of it throughout the entire book. It's, it's it when it does come up, it's really noticeable. Like oh wow, this
1: is the first time hearing of this through this entire book, and I am like 120 pages in. I also think that putting it in the preface is an absolute cop out of saying like ah you know like I was maybe just not willing to do the extra work like. I don't know. That's how it read to me. Like, like you said, a lot of people skip their preface, like, and if she had wanted it to be inclusive of all women, she could have done a little bit extra work, but that's just my, my salty Yeah. Thing.
2: I also found that there were incorrect uses of women, men, female and male throughout this. And that's something that really jumped out to me and kind of was a little prickly to me was that, um, there were examples where she used female when she met women and for those listening that might not be as educated on this um the sex and gender are two different things like sex is kind of the body that you're born in i don't know if that's the yeah anatomical
1: the anatomical Definitely. definition and then
2: gender is the societal implications of how people perceive your gender. So that would be women, men, and then um, sex would be female versus male. And so I think that those were kind of used improperly in some places in the book when she really meant women in that she was talking about the societal implications and the social implications of um, gender instead of actually the biological implications of sex.
1: And I think this is kind of sad because this is such an important topic and it could have been such a groundbreaking revolutionary book but i do think it fell short and if you look through some of the goodreads reviews a lot of people feel the same way and i think it was was it voted best book on goodreads in its category for last year or was it just a contender i don't know i don't know i think i could have sworn it won i, could, I, think, I think it, it won, won in some kind of category or. which is great that this conversation has been started but again it's problematic so so yeah just keep these things in mind while we're having this discussion um would love to see an updated version let's kind of switch let's talk about one of the first examples in the preface that she discussed that like totally blew my mind because it relates to something we use every single day, and that is emojis. <laughs> emojis are like actually the world's fastest growing language and is used by 90% of the world's online population. I feel like people who don't use emojis are like very stone cold. Like I don't like to talk to people who <laughs> don't use emojis. And if someone doesn't use an emoji, I'm immediately like, oh my God, they hate me. They're mad at yeah, me. Like especially the Three of
2: us who use emojis in like every single tweet we put out in the ladybug's too. It just adds it adds it extra does. flavor it makes to the tweet. More visually eye catching too. That's a social media tip for all the listeners. <laughs> That's why we're <laughs> successful on social media. Emojis as a language originated in Japan
1: in the 1980s, and women are its heaviest users. 78 uh, percent of women use emojis versus 60 percent of men. And until 2016, emojis were male. So this was very interesting to me. This whole history. So. We have this thing called the Unicode, Unicode Consortium. It sounds like super fancy. Um, I love that, uh, by the way.
0: I like I just, I, the idea of people just kind of like sitting around a table discussing what emojis they want to
1: create. Just thrills me. <laughs> It's yeah, it's interesting. So they're essentially just a Silicon Valley-based group of organizations that work together to ensure the um, universal international software standards. Um, they kind of decide like whether an emoji should be added to the current like stable release, and they should they decide on like the code that should be used. What's interesting um, from here, like once they decide, okay, this emoji is going to be adopted, here's the code for it. Then each phone manufacturer or platform, like Twitter or Facebook, designs their own. Uh, interpretation of this emoji, but they use the same code. So like cross platform and whatnot, like you can have the same representation of an emoji. Ironically, though, um, the emoji that most platforms originally represented uh, was a man, right? So like they designed a runner. It in no way was indicative of the fact of which gender should be used to portray this emoji. It was just called runner. uh, But every single platform depicted it as a man. Which was very interesting. So, like, even though the term itself was gender neutral, the default was male. And so, in 2016, the Unicode consortium decided to explicitly gender all emojis that depicted people. This was like super interesting to me. I don't know what did you guys think or y'all. What did y'all think? We're trying to be (laughs) inclusive. Sorry, I have to watch my language. I completely agree.
0: And also, I think although this wasn't talked about in the book because we're not talking about you know the gender bias here, what's also fascinating to me is the only up until recently there was representation of different people of color in the emojis as well but even still when you occasionally see somebody use an emoji that's like a different uh, different from the default it shows like the yellow version and then just like a block of color like it's not properly formatted even across platforms when you're actually using the emojis and that i that's like a major drawback to me as yeah, well yeah and
2: very recently they ended, added the genderless or the non-binary kind of emojis too where they're kind of more androgynous and so I think that that's cool but I think this just goes to show the idea of the male yeah the male default where men are the default in our media and in emojis even you know that people think of a runner generic runners of man and that that's not necessarily the case I run Well, not
1: just men, like, or I'm sorry, not just like the men are the default, but also able-bodied people are the default. Because I think just recently also they added the accessibility emojis as well, like people in wheelchairs. Um, And so the fact that it's typically male, able-bodied, typically cis white is, is problematic. But I think now we're starting to become more inclusive. And this is not just in emoji language. This also translates into languages we speak all over the world. And as someone living abroad in Europe um, where I'm learning German, I've learned French, and these languages have genders associated with nouns, this is problematic. In English, we don't have genders for things. You would say the phone or the book, but in languages like German or French, you would say le livre, which is masculine, and you would say das Buch, which actually is um, gender neutral. So German has three genders. We've got masculine, feminine, and neutral. French only has masculine and feminine. And this is very problematic, especially when you're using translations like Google Translate, because if you throw the book in the English side of Google Translate and it outputs to French or German, by default, like, uh, okay, that's a bad example because those have like assigned genders. But for example, if you put in programmer, the programmer or the lawyer, the default will be to male. So it'll be like the male version of that noun, which is problematic because then you're you're not even representing women in the way we have spoken languages. That's always been something
0: that's really fascinating to me, especially as I uh, as I'm getting better again at Spanish. Um, I lost a lot of the Spanish that I used to be able to speak. And I've actually noticed, I I don't know when this changed, but Google Translate actually did make an update at some point where if I type in the doctor, for example, and translate it into Spanish, it actually shows both the feminine and masculine version. So it says la doctora or el doctor. So it actually shows both of them, which I think is a really good step forward because as discussed in the book before, it would just show el doctor and completely leave off the feminine version of... Uh, of the doctor a lot.
2: Okay, so I have two tangential discussions here. The first one is that this kind of goes back to what we normally talk about on this show and that um, the tech industry, this Unicode consortium in Silicon Valley, is probably majority made up of the people that Emojis originally represented, like white men. And that's what a lot of the tech industry is. And so those people are the ones building technology. They're the ones that are going to be represented by it. And there are so many different examples of people not being properly served by technology because of um, the people that are writing those platforms. And so I think it's good that it's becoming more diverse. And we'll talk about this more in the future, but uh, of this episode, not like the future in a different episode, but later on in this episode. (laughs) But um have representation matters and re- even for things like emojis which probably are not impactful for um everybody's lives to you know a full extent but it's really really great to be represented like people were so excited when they added the accessibility emojis and that was a really really big day for a lot of people um and so uh, having people that are more represented and accurately um depicted even through these emojis is really important. We should think about that more.
1: One thing like we don't have written down, we have outlines for every episode that kind of guide our conversations, but I want to go off the rails for a second because just talking about how men are typically, typically white men are the ones, were the ones, maybe still are the ones developing a lot of these technologies. You often forget certain functions that impact women when women are 50% of the population, let alone users. Um, So like they, in the book, discuss portable fitness trackers like uh fitbit or the apple watch and what was inter- interesting there was um it could what it was it could tell you your blood alcohol content was it that but they couldn't tell you like if you were going to get your period or like where in your yeah. like, menstrual cycle you were
0: i was actually a part of the beta test for fitbit adding period oh, tracking really yeah I didn't know they added it. Yeah, that was- they did. Yeah. So it's a it's an actual thing. I have it on my Fitbit and I'm just going to show <laughs> uh, Emma and Allie here because they can actually see it um, or my Fitbit is just not going to do anything. But yeah, there's actually it says like five days until you start your period Whoa. and it learns over
1: time. That's amazing for several reasons. And I don't think... Men understand why period tracking, not period tracking, but understanding your menstrual cycle is important. And yes, we are going to talk about periods on this. So if you get squeamish, just deal with it because this is important. This can tell you, and we'll talk about fertility issues later, but this can indicate to you whether you have a very difficult to diagnose fertility issue. Um, Allie and I will discuss this later. But understanding your body temperature, your core body temperature can tell you if you have um, like an issue, whether that's you're actually growing cysts inside that can rupture and actually be life threatening. These things are very important. And when you know, your fitness tracker can tell you your blood alcohol content, but it can't tell you, um, you know, your core temperature. And they actually sell devices that do just that for women where you can actually wear this bracelet while you sleep and it tracks your core body temperature. Um, but those are freaking expensive. And if I already own a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, I don't want to buy a secondary device. So when you only have men designing these things, you leave out half the population.
0: There's so many things that I'm really looking forward to covering as we as we talk about with men designing things. I'm like,
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. We started with the easy one of emojis, but we have got a lot of conversations to have. My other one that I wanted to bring up, my other tangent is that it's so fascinating how impactful gender is on language in general like if you think about it our pronouns are something that represent us and people use to describe us constantly and those are based on gender like why is your gender the most important thing about you that your your whole language is based around that and that's something that i just find fascinating
1: right why don't we just have one pronoun that everyone uses that's not gender indicative like I don't understand. I mean, this goes back to how languages are developed yeah. like back in the years when they had the Rosetta Stone. But it's fascinating. And I would like to know more about that.
2: Trying to get better about using they when I don't know somebody's pronouns or... Um. Man,
0: I have a small thing to talk about the word they. I When I was in grade school, writing papers, I would always get knocked down on points for using they if i didn't know whether i was talking about a man or a woman in the context of whatever it is and i i just you know took the took the marks for it because i kept on using it
1: and now i'm thankful for it because it's still part of my natural vocabulary Uh, that's i'm sorry but that's a shitty downfall of the american education system which we (laughs) could do an entire episode on i have i think we all have thoughts on that but uh Okay, I. Th- <laughs> Why don't we switch into something a little different than language? I guess it still kind of goes to language because it goes deals with um, how we, at a young age, are are influenced by some of these things, and that goes to media and TV. I know I don't know how it is in Europe, but as a child in. America, a lot of times we give our children screens to look at, whether that's playing games, whether that's watching TV. I watched TV a lot as a kid. I mean, back then I also played outside because, you know, AOL, I couldn't be on there all day and The Sims just wasn't, it wasn't where it is today. Um, But TV (laughs) does take up a lot of time for our children and people in general. Interestingly, oh my god, I've said that word so many times in this episode. Let's have a drink every time drink I say I was gonna say we just we
0: just created a drinking game. Yes, drink like our coffee. Eight in the morning here, just for <laughs> <laughs> the audience.
1: <laughs> a 2007 international study of 25,000 children's television characters found that only 13% of non-human characters are female. What even? How does that even pass
0: Like that's sad. That's very sad. And that that completely took me by surprise. And then the analysis of G-rated films released between 1990 and 2005, which we're all 90s babies. So we watched these, these films.
1: Uh, only 28% of speaking roles went to female characters. And for those listening who don't know what G-rated is, I don't know if you have it in Europe. I don't think you do. It's basically general audience. So it's meant for families, people of all ages. Um, yeah, fascinating. That's a good Uh, distinction to make.
2: (laughs) And it's also worth talking about, like, the Bedchill test, the Bechdel test. I'm going to butcher that name. I'm so sorry. But it's this test um, for media to see if they pass a couple different things. It's like if there are... Women who talk to each other not about a man is one of the requirements, and almost no movies pass it or pieces of media.
0: Yeah, in the in the Pop Sugar reading challenge for this year, that's actually one of the books you read is is one that contains a conversation with. Women, two women talking to each other, had that where a man is not at all involved in the conversation or the topic of conversation. In the in the fact that it's difficult to find this just blows my mind.
2: Actually, it doesn't blow my mind,
0: but it's very disappointing.
2: I think even the idea. I read this article a while ago about how women heroines are normally super one dimensional characters, and so that's why I don't know about you all, but I tend to. Identify more with almost the more villainous woman characters because they are more multi dimensional. Like favorite characters of all time, like Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl. She's not exactly depicted as the saint, but she's at least got multiple dimensions, and a lot of, like, the good girls don't. I can try to find this article, but... For those who don't know, Allie has a dog named Blair that she absolutely <laughs> named after Blair yeah. Waldorf. oh, 100%. I want to take her to the Met Steps now that we live in New York City. <laughs> Please do that.
1: I'm going to get a dog and name it Serena. Yes, oh my goodness. It. But your dog better treat my dog nicely. Yeah, uh, she better.
2: She's not the... The nicest other dogs But we'll, we'll, we'll go with it Yeah, if I got a second dog That would be named Spencer After um, Pretty Little Liars <laughs> Oh my gosh
1: Allie, you collect dogs Kelly collects limited liability corporations And I collect uh, I, I'm not really sure What I collect Books. Maybe Cat hair <laughs> You collect um, cat hair Yeah, absolutely I do So it's not just media That this affects too it's also textbooks, which is when we're talking textbooks. It's generally, as it really, it's to people learning language, or even kids in elementary, middle, and high school. Thirty years of language and grammar textbook studies in countries including Germany, the U.S., Australia, and Spain found that men far outnumber women in example sentences. Um, and it's not just this. If we take a look at Wikipedia, for example, this is this kind of shocked me a little bit. I, I think I knew this subconsciously, but having it spelled out was like, oh, crap. Um, so Wikipedia is also very gender biased. England's national football team on Wikipedia is about the men's national football team while the women's page is called the England Women's National Football Team. And then we've got... I've noticed that too. It's like the same thing with everything though. I mean, women's soccer. Uh, When you talk about novelists in 2013, Wikipedia divided writers into American novelists and American women novelists. It's, it's, It's so stupid in my opinion, because like you look through these stupid articles and they're like, the one about women include words like female, woman, lady, but articles about men, like the men's the men's soccer team that doesn't exist. The soccer team of England don't include words like man, masculine or gentleman because the male sex goes without saying. The male gender uh this I don't know is gender or sex the right word to use here but men are the default I think is what I'm getting at.
0: Yeah. And I think the the soccer team example in particular just like really irks me because I think we all know how good the US women's soccer team is and they get very little press coverage when our men's soccer team is pretty terrible.
2: But that's all we talk about. I'm a big basketball fan, especially college basketball. And the pay rate of the WNBA versus the NBA is absurd. Like, the WNBA players get paid so, 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 so much less than NBA players. And... Even the way that we talk about women's basketball, like, if UConn women's basketball team was instead a men's team, they would be every single headline ever. Nobody would stop talking about them. They'd be talked about as the greatest dynasty in sports, um, all those seasons that they were undefeated. And for UConn women, it's like, oh, yeah, they're just the best. That's just the way it is. And nobody even barely talks about it anymore. And I think that that difference is even fascinating.
0: I completely agree. I think we can go on and on and on about media in general and the the male default throughout all of the representation, with that, whether it's in TV, books, sports, whatever it is. Um, but let's kind of shift gears and talk about daily life. So let's talk about toilets. Yeah, let's talk about toilets. So this was a really interesting part of the book to me, and it makes complete sense. So there was a part in the book that talks about the, the layout of, of bathrooms, especially like public restrooms, and they tend to be the same size, like a men's restroom and women's restroom are the same size, yet... Men have urinals, which take up a lot less space and women have to, you know, we have our, our, our own stalls. And so you end up with fewer, like fewer stalls, I guess fewer people being able to actually use the restroom than men just based on the layout.
1: Am I explaining that correctly? Yeah, it can serve as more people at one time because the, the same, even though they have the same floor space, the men's bathroom provides more ways to relieve yourself. Thank you. I love talking about toilets on so podcasts. Uh, but okay, but why is this problematic? And I think this is where it becomes more impactful. Uh, women take up to 2.3 times as long as men to use the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a I ever thought I'd
2: say publicly.
1: <laughs> um, w- women make up the majority of elderly and disabled people two groups that generally need more time to use the bathroom. Uh, but women are also more likely to be accompanied by children or disabled or el- elderly people. But not only that, we had discussed periods just a few minutes ago. Uh, Bringing periods 25% up again. Periods. <laughs> there are 20 to 25% of women of childbearing age who might be on their periods and need to change a sanitary pad or a tampon. Uh, this is uh, problematic. I mean, how many times other than at a tech <laughs> conference have you gone to the bathroom and there's a huge freaking line, right?
0: Let's talk about any public sports. Like any any time you go to like a like a stadium to go watch like a sporting event or a movie or a show, the women's line is way longer than the men's line
2: because it moves a whole lot slower. Basketball, which is again all men, it's like. Uh- conferences but um (laughs) uh, uh, yeah definitely agree where the lines are always out the door like airports that's the one that I always notice that there's never a line for the men's bathroom and then the women's bathroom it's just like way out the door always I I'm just tempted to wear diapers at that
1: point when flying just like pilots wear diapers oh, really? when they fly didn't you know that i, think. I could be making that <laughs> didn't up. you
0: know
2: that i, I, I think it might be true
0: <laughs> i, no, I, I, I could, love how you stand could, behind what you I say not,
2: i
1: don't want to know these things now i'm like oh wait no visualize. it's not it's not pilots it's okay. surgeons surgeons wear diapers because when they're when they're surgerying what do they call it operating it's <laughs> surgery um, they can they can't leave their the body and be like, you know what? Hold on, like keep them open. I'm going to run to the bathroom. Um, I just I, want you to know that I just googled do pilots wear diapers. <laughs> um, I'm not going
0: to tell you what it says. I'm going to leave it to you to Google okay, it. I don't yourself. want
2: to visualize
1: these things. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. They have like oh. the things that they use. <laughs> Please let us know if you Google this because you you should. Um. But again, that gets back to gender discrimination because you go look that up, and guess what? They've got products for men. Just saying. Okay. Okay. Anyway. So, also still talking about,
0: about, urinals and bathrooms and toilets. One thing, if you are an American traveling in Europe, one of the main things you're going to notice is the lack of public restrooms or the fact that you have to pay to use a public restroom. Um, I don't usually carry money on me. So it's it's something that I had to get used to. And I've I've been to several different countries now. And even to this day, it's it's still an issue. The thing about this is that it affects women disproportionately more than it affects men. Again, because we, you know, like of the women of childbearing age, they often, you need to actually use the restroom to change out a sanitary pad or whatever it is that you're using because you can end up with like an infection and nobody wants to deal with that. And the number of public restrooms is consistently decreasing across all countries as well. It's not even just, you know, countries in Europe. You're seeing it in Africa
1: as well. Not just that, though. Like, we were in Belgium and uh, in Amsterdam and both cities, both cities, Belgium's a <laughs> <the> country. country. Um, <laughs> they both had public urinals. Like, I shit you not, we walked past the church and on the side of the church, you literally are peeing on the side of the church. They have public urinals because uh, apparently, I think men would get drunk and try to pee in the canals and they'd fall in and die. Because um, there's, okay, <laughs> I, yeah, i,
0: I have never actually been to Amsterdam now that I'm very experienced my yeah. one evening in Amsterdam. By the canals, there are no like, yeah, jail, like rail guards guard or anything rails. like that.
1: Yeah, guardrails, rail guards, guard gills, but whatever. The fact that literally public restrooms for men to pee in the public on churches and yet there's not enough free public or fr- there aren't any free public toilets for women to use is a little bit absurd.
0: I yeah I completely agree. Um, What oh it was a township in South Africa that they they invested in adding the number of uh, public toilets in in their township and it actually ended up um, being a like a I think it's like five million dollars better off or something like that for the city by by investing in adding more public public restrooms.
1: It's a good idea. It's not just a good idea. It will protect women from being sexually assaulted. Yes. A 2016 study found that Indian women who use fields to relieve themselves are twice as likely to face non-partner sexual violence as women with a household toilet. And why this was important for South Africa was because originally they had, and this is a township in South Africa, they originally had 5,600 toilets for 2.4 million people. And that resulted in 635 sexual assaults a year and that cost this, the township 40 million dollars each year so when they increased the number of toilets to 11,300 they had to pay 12 million dollars to do this but it actually cut in half the distance to a toilet and this decreased sexual assault by 30% and so they actually ended up 5 million dollars better off
0: and also one of the things that was worth pointing out is uh women would end up having to basically bring somebody along when they were having to relieve themselves in the fields just to, pr- like, protect themselves from being, uh, you know, uh, from sexual violence. But even then, when you would go in pairs to the field, there were still plenty of cases where they were both being attacked. So, yeah, I, I really love that South Af- this township in South Africa actually, you know, did a
1: study on this and invested in in women. I, and I just want to state, like, we're over here complaining that you have to pay to use a restroom when you're in Europe, but... We're actually very fortunate because there a, a, a typical Mumbai Indian slum might have six bathrooms for 8,000 women. So the fact that we even have access to toilets at all is like actually a privilege. Uh, so I just wanted to explicitly state that.
0: I completely agree. So let's now talk about the workplace. There is a lot that we can talk about in this section. Um, but let's just kind of start with childbirth and career just because this is – obviously a, a very hot topic, especially with uh, there not being any uh, required paid maternity leave for women here in the U.S. And and it's something that's come up with me recently because I have a small business. And one of my employees, his wife, just gave birth uh, about a month ago. And so I was reading up on all this. And even uh, the Family Medical Leave Act, FMLA, It covers – it only kicks in when you have, I think, like 50 employees at your company. So there are all these small businesses that are still not required to give even six weeks unpaid leave in the U.S.
1: I thought you were going to say it only kicks in when you have 50 children. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Very thankful Um, that's not the case. But even still – I'm sorry, but this makes me – this infuriates me the fact that the u.s claims to be the biggest and the best country in the whole world the ego is massive and yet you're not providing maternity leave for people are you freaking kidding me that makes me so mad it's in in everyone
0: who learns this fact i was getting uh, drinks with a friend in amsterdam and i told him this this statistic and he just he was like so when are you going to be moving to europe just because it, it's 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 unfathomable that there's absolutely no uh, maternity or paternity leave. It's basically up to the company whether or not they want to to offer it.
2: Yeah. It's one of those things that I think probably all of us have thought about at some point is how we would even handle for our careers, because we're all very career focused people, like how we would handle having a kid for our careers. And like, for me, it's been a goal that before I'm at that age, I own my own company. So I don't even have to worry about it that I work for myself. And the fact that that's something that You have to think about and how you have to be like changing your whole entire career plans around having a kid, whereas that's not really the case, I don't think, for most men.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because one in four Americans return to work within two weeks of giving birth. And by Americans, I mean American women, obviously. Um, Two weeks of giving birth. you're still healing you are still recovering from the
0: process of giving birth whether it's a natural birth or a c-section major surgery human
1: just like broke its way out of your body and you're gonna go back to work like nothing in two weeks like okay i'm back yeah that's um but this can have severe implications why do we go back to work well let's talk about that it can have two to three major implications the first being salary uh you can actually you will make less money over the course of your lifetime. So in Germany, a woman who has given birth to one child can expect to earn $285,000 less, uh, by the time she's 45 than a woman who has worked full-time without maternity leave or interruption. Um, the second is you're likely going to be passed over for promotions. Um, and the third is you can even lose your job. This also made me angry. Um, there was a, a British counselor, a woman counselor who went on maternity leave and she actually lost her job because of it because, uh, if a counselor does not attend council for 6 months they lose their position unless the authority has approved their absence. Well, guess what? That absence doesn't include maternity leave. So this woman lost her job because she gave birth.
2: In, in, in this entire book, just it, <laughs> I'm I'm just angry. I'm very angry. I've definitely seen that happen to contractors. So women who are contractors, they don't have oh, absolutely. Uh, maternity leave usually and so then a lot of them end up getting fired if they're having or if they have a baby. So it's awful.
0: Yeah. It's also an issue in academia as well. You know, when you're, when you're trying to receive tenure, which is the, you know, the highest level you can receive when you're, when you're teaching at a university, uh, you have to put a lot of time into being able to even be on the tenure track and, there's There are requirements it, – it varies by the university as well as far as how tenure track works, but it's usually you're your teaching for a certain amount of time. So in the U.S., um, they have seven – you have seven years to actually receive tenure after getting your first academic job or you can be fired. And that just and, – and when you have women who are giving birth and they have to be out because they're now caring for a child, they're, you know, they're not able to put in the full-time uh, teaching – it affects how people are actually able to receive tenure, how women are able to receive tenure. And, you know, naturally this te- this time frame happens when you're around 30 to 40
1: years old, which also coincides with the years most women are trying for a baby. Not, no, not most women are trying for a baby. The couples are trying for a baby, but the women has the implications of that. And yes. that's a big problem. And I do think that the... There were a set of U.S. universities who tried to fix this. But in all actuality, I think they ended up making the issue worse. So Mm -hmm. um, U.S. academics in the tenure track system, you already said they have seven years to receive tenure after getting their first academic job or they're fired. In the 1990s and early 2000s, a number of U.S. universities adopted what was intended as a family-friendly policy where they would receive an extra year per child to earn tenure. But here's the issue with that. Women are going to be throwing up if they're pregnant or, you know, if they're, yeah, if they're pregnant, I guess, morning sickness, maybe going to the toilet every five minutes, changing diapers, pumping breast milk um, during the first year. Uh, They're going to be doing all of these things. They're not going to be feeling great for their first year, whereas men get to dedicate more time to their research. So instead of actually giving a leg up to, to parents, this policy just simply gave a leg up to men at women's expense. But there are a few companies that are actually, like, trying to right this wrong. Uh, Allie, do you want to tell us maybe what some top companies
2: are doing to help mitigate this? So the one that was given in the book was Google. And they noticed that women who had just given birth um, were leaving the company at twice the rate of other employees. And so then they increased their maternity leave from three months at partial pay to five months at full pay. And the quit rate dropped by 50%. So that's one thing. And I think that it was Google as well who had child care on campus? Or maybe that was a different company, but that was another example given too.
1: Yeah, that was when they offered child care as well as convenience things on campus like dry cleaning so you can run your errands during the day. But they also gave you a stipend for takeout food in the first three months after your baby is born, which is really, really
2: cool. Definitely. I think another thing to talk about is the rise of remote work. And I have been critical about remote work in the past, but I think that it is something that will really, really help um, women who are mothers or parents in general, I guess, um, when they're keeping their careers going after having a child.
1: Yeah, there were some other benefits that that certain companies were providing too, which are really neat. So, uh, Campbell Soup offers on after-school classes and summer programs for their employees' children. Um, Sony Ericsson and Evernote actually pay for their employees to have their houses cleaned, which is a huge benefit that maybe we don't even think of needing. Uh, and this last one was nice. American Express – it was nice. It was necessary. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm <laughs> saying it. nice. it's nice. Ameri- American Express actually pays for women to ship their breast milk home if they travel while they're breastfeeding. So that almost, to me, seems like a necessity. Yeah. Um, and we didn't write this down, but they were giving examples of traveling and how the implications of work related travel can affect men and women differently. Let's say you're a single mother and you have to travel for work. It's not as simple as getting on a plane and, and leaving. Like you would have to think about childcare, and this is an added expense. Your company's not gonna pay for that, versus if you're a male uh and you're married i know this also works the other way around like if a woman is married and her husband can't stay home with the kids like you're not gonna have that expense but um like these are just things we have to think about uh you know th- women are it it's not as easy for women to be able to just like pick up and go drinking after work maybe they don't even want to go out drinking with their coworkers. maybe they can't afford a babysitter um and given the fact that women do the majority of household work, which I don't think we're going to discuss too much, but women do the primary work in a household, um, they they don't have the same freedom to be able to go out and do act- extracurricular things or to be able to travel as easily.
0: Especially when, and not, it's not even just travel, it's those extracurricular things that are actually taken into consideration when you're trying to get a promotion to the company, that you're you're you know talking to your your colleagues, your team members, and everything after work, outside of work as well, and it does have an impact on on your ability to get a promotion. And it actually is kind of a good good lead in for uh, for talking about like the myth of meritocracy, um, which is to me one of one of the my favorite topics that was in the book. Okay, so just to kind of talk about what a meritocracy is, it's it's being rewarded for the work that you do. Just kind of running through some, some stats that were, that were mentioned in the book, um, a survey of U.S. firms found that 90% used performance evaluations in 2002, and 90% had merit-based pay plan in place. So the better you perform, the more money you're going to make. Uh, an analysis of 248 performance reviews collected from a variety of U.S. tech companies found that women receive negative personality criticism
1: that men simply don't receive. And you know how many freaking times I've been told I'm too emotional?
2: Oh, my you god! You know nice. how angry that makes me? Mine is always that I'm too nice, which is not even a thing. And that um, – <laughs> I'm not nice. I, I don't know. It's just funny. I've had that in performance reviews multiple times. I'm like, that doesn't mean what you think it means. And then uh, one other one that I got at one point was um, – executive presence that i didn't have executive presence and i was like 22 at the time <laughs> working and i i googled it Surprise. and i had no idea what it meant in every single article none of them defined what executive presence actually was it was just like this is a thing that women get told that nobody knows what it means but it's sexist and then i heard after the fact that um the person was actually like planning it in my review anyways it was all a, a huge drama um But definitely this is something that I have seen so many times in my career. And
0: also, I I don't know if this is surprising, but uh, one of the the facts in the books talked about studies have shown that a belief in your own personal objectivity or a belief that you aren't sexist actually makes you less objective and more likely to behave in a sexist way.
1: (laughs) Oh, how the tables turn. (laughs) So what does that mean? It means that men who believe they aren't objective. Sorry, men who believe that they are objective in hiring decisions are more likely to hire a male applicant than an identically described female applicant. Uh, and this can have severe implications in our industry because women make up only a quarter of the tech industry's employees and 11% of executives. And what that means is more than 40% of women leave tech after about 10 years as compared to 17% of men. This is due to many reasons. It could be sexual harassment. It could be not being surrounded by people like you. Um, It could be lack of pay compared to your male colleagues. Yeah, I've noticed this in Germany in particular, um, where in the workplace, like, I would say 98% of the people are white. So while I struggle to identify with having additional female engineers surrounding me, I have the advantage. Yeah, it's a privilege. um, But it's also I do still have the fact that the majority of people around me are white. Uh, For women of color surrounded by all white people, specifically all white men, this is going to be much harder. And I can't begin to identify how that feels or I can't pretend to empathize with how that feels. Um, So we seriously need to focus on hiring diverse people and put our money where our mouth is. This is a serious problem for many reasons. Uh, You should want to hire a diverse workforce. Like, this should be something you want. I shouldn't, we shouldn't be sitting here telling you diversity is important. It's something that you should innately want to do.
2: A statistic that I like to bring up too is that um, women in the tech industry versus women in technical roles is a different thing. So, women may make up 25% of the tech industry, but that number is much lower from every study that I've seen for women who are actually in like engineering roles. And I think. There isn't an exact number there, but I would guess that it's probably closer to 10% from what I've seen.
0: I think something I I want to touch on is the hiring process. And I don't actually remember if this was mentioned in the book I think it might it might have been um, about doing like a blind resume review no names nothing like that that you're just reviewing the the answers for what they are Um, ended up resulting in more women receiving interviews and I think being hired I honestly I don't I don't have that stat written down Um, but I'm pretty sure that was in there. One of the things that was actually really surprising to me was um, at a certain company, I know that they use uh, part of their their application process is answering questions on video. So you actually record yourself answering the questions. And obviously that's creating a bias because you're seeing exactly who it is that you're talking to and you're going to be, whether you are, are you know, cognizant of it or not, you're, you're, that, that bias is going to play into whether or not you want to bring them in for an interview or you want to hire them. That makes me angry.
2: And especially the, since there have been so many studies about both gender but also um, race in blind hiring and blind uh, resume reviews as well. So we talked about that a little bit on our resume episode and whether you should put a picture on there and all that. So um, definitely go listen to that episode, but it's definitely a huge problem.
1: Let's talk about professors for a second. I definitely noticed this when I was in college because I was in a computer science program and we actually had quite a few. I would say Like 45% of our staff were women, which was incredible. Um, And actually, the head of the department was also a woman. um, So that was really nice. But female professors are generally penalized if they aren't deemed sufficiently warm and accessible. But if they are warm and accessible or too nice, uh, they can be penalized for uh, not appearing
2: authoritative (laughs) or professional. And this sucks a lot. (laughs) This is my life. (laughs) No. So... Overall, my students are great and we're talking about getting more diversity into tech. And I think that boot camps are a huge facilitator in that. I tell my students normally on their last day, which is it's actually the last day of my cohort today. So they'll probably get this talk today. That like the room that they are in for our boot camp is probably the most diverse Place that they'll be in that's not like explicitly a diversity place in tech. So, if they go to, you know, Women Who Code or Black Code Collective or something like that, then they'll be in another diverse space. But overall, um, the representation, the gender split, and then also the racial split in my cohorts is way, 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 way better than the tech industry as a whole. And so, I think that that's a huge step in hiring bootcamp grads is that they are going to lead to more diversity in tech, not just, um, on those metrics, but also from their backgrounds. But that being said, as a instructor, um, usually I'm one of the only women instructors, um, at the company that I work at and kind of historically as well, there have only been a couple women instructors, especially at the level that I'm at. And, um, we get performance reviews from the students and some of those that i have gotten have just been absurd like that this was a while ago but essentially i got a review from a student that i wasn't very smart and didn't have enough experience despite me having more than twice experience of anybody else on the team that is a side note but i was really cute so that made up for it so I've like something like that. Oh
1: my gosh! If you, if all of you listening, could see the freaking DMs that we oh received, my we joked about doing an episode or something of like showing some of the weird uh, messages that we've. Gotten. I think we should. Should I think we should? Um, not to chastise people we obviously won't name names but some of this stuff and i think the biggest comment is always like wow people still do this or wow you actually get these comments those aren't helping either because it kind of just counts the fact that yes we do um and it makes it like it makes it seem like it's not believable um but i remember when i had first started growing my twitter following this was uh, not last Christmas, but the Christmas before, I tweeted something. It was a sequel joke for Christmas. It wasn't even something I created, but it got posted on 9gag, and the comments were horrific. I remember getting so upset. Like, there were comments about the fact that I was wasting my looks in tech. Like, I should just be um, performing really crude sexual acts on men to get ahead in life. These are not comments you would see made about a male. And the fact that physical appearance plays into your... um what's the word i'm looking for not efficacy but like your like how how much people take you seriously what's that word um i don't know right. with a C. the way you explain it works your credibility. Credibility. credibility credibility there you go yeah the fact that your physical appearance plays into credibility uh in a technical field makes oh, me very oh and
2: I, I can see it at conferences where people never think that i'm a speaker or somebody who is a software engineer people always you know i one conference i got ushered both into the student section because they thought i was like a kid and or like a high school student or something and then i also got ushered into the journalist section and i was like i'm not a journalist like wow. <laughs> i'm just i'm a speaker <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a journalist but yeah, i'm going to write exactly. about
1: this uh what one thing that also kind of annoyed me the other day and this might just be me like nitpicking at this point but i was having a conversation with someone and they're like oh what do you do i'm like i'm a software engineer and they were like oh you mean developer and i was like <laughs> i was like actually i have a computer science degree and i'm classically trained like <laughs>
2: my contract is software engineer that's one of my biggest pet peeves yeah
1: but i know i know titles is like a big shit show conversation but like the fact that it was hard for him to believe that i could actually have completed a program as a software engineer or computer scientist was kind of Shitty. Yeah, I I don't know. I like he probably meant it as a joke, but like for me that it's that's not funny. It's It's not a joke. Yeah, but like throughout my like college program, there were instances where we'd have a group project and like one of the guys who thought he was the smartest had huge ass ego was like, oh, you can just write the docs for our program. I'll write the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Like, I, and I didn't say anything at the time. I'm like, what am I supposed to say? I was very uncomfortable. Like, I was in a group with all men. And for him to be like that, like, I should have gone to the professor. Like, I should have called him out, but like, I didn't at the time. And that led to me being severely under skilled, I guess, when I graduated because I never spoke up and was like, actually, I want to do some of this development work. I don't know. There was like a whole deep seated issue going yeah. on. Yeah.
2: And even at work, too, I've had. I had somebody say in a client meeting, like, look at her, look how she, pretty she is, but she's still good at math or something like that. Like, it was in, in a client meeting in front of all these people, and somebody said that about me. And that's the way that things go. Like, people think that because we're relatively young women in tech, that we're not technical and we they stereotype us in some sort of way. And the things that people say to us at conferences or tech events in general, like I stopped going to conferences for a long time and stopped speaking for about a year because – somebody talked about how he wanted to get me pregnant in like our first conversation and it totally freaked me out. And, um, that was like just one instance of sexual harassment at this one conference. There were multiple and multiple at this one conference. And so I stopped speaking for a while. And I think that that's probably an experience of a lot of women in this field is not just at work during the workday, but also if we do anything outside of work to build our brands. it's going to blow back on us on some sort of way like that. I what
1: the fuck? Like I'm just going to say that cuz like actually why would anyone go up to you and say they want to get you pregnant? Sir, you should not be procreating. Like <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like
0: I see it a lot in my in my line of work. There's a lot of reason why most of the clients that I work with are women. And there are a lot more women business owners in, in the, in the uh, e-commerce space as well, which is really great. Um, they're really fun to work with. But I, I will never forget the time that I sat in face-to-face on a lead meeting in a meeting room at my co-working space, and I asked if he has any questions. And his question was, how do I know you're not just going to take my money and run, run off and get pregnant?
1: Oh, my God. <sighs> what? like i laugh because that's how i handle awkward yeah reviews. and but like what i the wish hell? i had
0: been like you know what that's a really good idea i think i'm gonna go do that
1: just
2: steal just, everybody's just, money just to see how
0: he responds to <laughs> yeah. it yeah let me just let me just start making all this money it's gonna be great but it's just like it's, this is reality this is this is what we deal with on a day-to-day basis i don't know
1: why men look at us and they think that we're just like waiting to get pregnant it's like we that's all we're doing. We're like sitting around like thinking like, Oh my god, I wanna get pregnant. Like that is my life goal. Like I we're don't just
2: sex objects. Like, like we're also not full d- people. We're not engineers. We're <laughs> right. We're yeah, we're that them first instead of um our careers, which have also been successful and which we have all put a lot of work into. And still people see our looks first and put that on us instead of our experiences. And I think that that's so messed up and something that I don't think that we can overcome. And like even just fearing for our personal safety whenever we go to any of these tech events. Like, I have had so many bad experiences and so many people um, treating me in awful ways or going even further than that. And it's just something that I don't think that men have to think about. Whereas for me, it's some—it's like my first concern when I go to a conference is I have to make sure that I have a lot of friends that are there so that I'm never alone and that um I don't go to certain events if I'm not going to have a group around me that I know. And um, even, you know, going to a foreign country, that scares me more than a place in the United States where I would be more likely to know more people. Like, it's just kind of a production. and
1: It's like, it gets scary, though. It's not just conferences. So, like, I remember I was walking into a restaurant and Austin once like I was just I had parked down the block I was walking these guys were catcalling me and I just like, ignored them and then they started to yell like really profane things at me that I was actually worried they were going to follow me down the street um but I was on the train the you know one day like l- a long time maybe 6 months ago in Germany and this drunk I th- I think he was drunk he sat next to me I was very uncomfortable he kept trying to talk to me well he started a conversation in German and I if I feel uncomfortable, even though I speak German, I understand German, I'll pretend like I don't. And I was like, sorry, like, I don't speak German. And he then proceeded to speak English. And he was very close to me. And he was like, I don't know what we were talking about. But I had mentioned, oh, I'm married. And he was like, he went off on me. He was like, you're too young to be married. Like, your parents are probably disappointed in you. He got really, like, really aggressive and was like, trying to, like, exchange contact information. And then um, luckily, we were at a stop and someone with a bike came on and I was sitting in like – we were sitting in the area where like you – the bikes would go. So I was like, oh, sorry. Like I'm going to give them my spot and I ran away. He ended up uh, actually causing a massive scene and yelling at the people. Like I was worried he was going to like actually assault someone. But I was so scared. Like I've never been that scared. And the people around us were just watching. No one was doing anything. I, I know it's like the inactive bystander or the – some kind of like – It's a bystander effect. Yeah, the bystander effect. But I've never been more, like, afraid in my life. And men don't realize that we go through these things because we don't talk about it. And people don't think it's real. And, like, I actually, uh, like many women, will change the way that I commute to avoid being alone at night, like, on shady streets. Like,
2: yeah, it's crazy. Oh, 100%. I feel like if you work late, companies should cover some sort of very safely to get home. And I don't even know what that would be because like Uber and Lyft drivers, they sexually harass people. Like I've had so many of them say inappropriate things or ask me out while they're driving me. And I'm like, I'm stuck in your car right now. Like this is not a safe situation. You know where I live. I don't know if there is a safe situation. Like Walking home, people catcall all the time. I walked to Sweet Green, which is at the end of my block, and two people catcalled me on my own block the other day. Like, so not even a full block walking, and two people. Trains, Emma was just saying that all of that happens. And those ones, honestly, public transportation scares me more than anything because you're so stuck and you can't get off if you need to, and you can be trapped with one person or something like that. So I don't know if there is a safe option for transportation other than like driving yourself, which is not an option in cities. It's
0: Yeah, there's no. there's a lot that goes on there. I have one more kind of tangent here, and then we can get back on the topic. On this, you know, on the same thing, I actually, like I used to be, because I work where I can work from wherever it's much more easily for me. easy for me to work from home. So when we have somebody come out to let's say, like an exterminator, come out to just you know spray our house as we usually do for like the quarterly service, it got to the point where I was so uncomfortable by the person who was coming to the house, you know, telling me I was really pretty and ask if I have any pretty single friends, And I'm like, you're in my house right now, and I feel unsafe in my own house. And after I finally told my husband about what was going on there, he's like, "You're not you're not doing this anymore." So now my husband takes time off of work to go home and be there for the exterminator to treat the house, so I'm nowhere,
1: nowhere in the general vicinity. It's just this is this is reality. It's not just yeah, and that that's really shitty. And that kind of something's not that, but like I, when I moved apartments, I hired a a moving company, and it was basically like three guys. I don't think they were German; they were also like immigrants, like myself. Uh, so we couldn't really communicate very well. And I, about an hour into the whole thing, the guy turns to me and he goes, "You're gonna go buy us some sandwiches and drinks." And what? I was like, "Excuse me," and he goes, "I'll pay you when you get back. Go buy us like this is what we want. Go." And I was like, "I know your English isn't that good, but I'm." fucking paying you I've hired you you're now ordering and I felt so uncomfortable that I actually went and did it I went and bought it for them because I was like I don't know what to do and then I come back they never paid me for it and then on top of that they tried to charge me more money because they were trying to take advantage of the fact that I'm a single woman and like I, I said absolutely not like I was going to tip them. Actually, I was going to give them a hundred euro tip because it was a lot of work. Uh, But as a result, like I didn't end up tipping them anything because they tried to upcharge me and they did upcharge me. It's scary. It's like it's not just about feeling like violated in terms of uh, sex, but also like physically I am afraid for myself sometimes. Should we switch to something a little lighter and talk about crash test dummies, which was a very fun area of this book? Yes, this was a super
0: fascinating area for me. But Emma, you talk about crash test dummies.
1: I just talked for like 45 minutes. Uh, <laughs> let's let Allie talk about yeah, crash so test the dummies.
2: Crash test dummies that were introduced in the 1950s and for the decades after that were uh, based around the sizing of men and 50th percent. Style men. So that like the average size man. And it wasn't until 2011 that the United States started using, um, female crash test dummies. And there are different tests that cars must pass before being allowed on the market for safety belts and, uh, collisions and lateral collisions and all of these things that I know nothing about. It's not a car person at all. <laughs> um, And I'm living up to stereotypes right now. I (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You you
0: (laughs) live in the city, though. You don't need to drive. I have this old
2: CRV that lives at my parents' house. Um, But only recently were female crash test dummies required, and it made it so that the how a lot of different cars performed on these tests, they performed a lot worse after women were... Um, Or female crash test dummies. I I mean, they're not – they don't actually have genders. They're, like, you know, dummies. But – They're dummies.
1: I think it was meant to be more anatomically correct, but in actuality, it wasn't at all. They literally took the male crash test dummy and just just scaled it down. It's like transform scale, 0.5. But guess what? We've got breasts, okay? (laughs) I'm just going to come out and say it. What? Some men have – some men have breasts, too, and they don't account for that either. Like, anatomically speaking, it's not just having breasts, right? Like, uh, there are other things. We have different yeah, muscle different mass different distribution, distribution, lower distribution. bone density, and different yeah. vertebrae spacing.
0: I was really surprised by the the statistic about how much more often women end up with whiplash from being in a vehicular accident of some form just because of the, again, like the, the distribution, the bone density, just the way they were built. Our heads are much more likely to, you know, whip around, and that's not at all. Because they're full of big
1: brains. That's it. Getting utilized. They're just very heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But not only that, like, yeah, I think they do test with not anatomically correct women female dummies but they're not putting them in the freaking driver's seat they're not they're just in the the passenger seat yeah they're in the passenger seat like tell me like i know historically men were the ones driving or whatever but we don't live in that day and age anymore and not only that they don't test with pregnant crash dummies even though car crashes are the number one cause of fetal death related to maternal trauma like we still haven't even developed a damn seatbelt that works for pregnant women
0: like i have not I've never had experience being pregnant, so I don't really know what it's like. but I can only imagine just how uncomfortable it must be to buckle a seatbelt when you're pregnant, especially when you're like eight months pregnant and quite ready to <laughs> I don't know how to best say this, ready to pop <laughs> to pop. I don't know how that works.
1: <laughs> they actually, and I didn't write this down, so I don't remember. But they took some of the leading car manufacturers in the EU and the US, I think, maybe just the EU, and they ran them like they they ran the tests on them using a female crash test dummy, and they all freaking failed. Like their their ratings plummeted when they did that, and that's unbelievable to me. And they're like, just if like you're huh. just testing. Yeah, they're like, whatever, you know, it's fine. Women don't drive. We don't have rights. It's not a big deal. We're just going to sit in the passenger seat anyway, right? And take selfies and do all the things that women do. <laughs> That's right. Participate in society.
0: Okay, one more topic to to cover here. Um, and I... I'm going to let the two of you really cover this because I'm I'm very thankful that I don't have to uh, suffer with the same the same well okay medical misdiagnosis is what we're going to be talking about there's a lot that can be encompassed that, that can be covered in under the, the topic of medical misdiagnosis but I think one of the things that were that's really important to cover here is endometriosis and I don't have endometriosis and so I would rather let somebody who does,
1: Actually talk about what that's like. I'm, I think I'm going to let you handle it, Kelly. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, so <laughs> awkward silence. Um, so there's a syndrome called Yentl syndrome. I assume that's how you say it. I don't actually know. Uh, it describes a phenomena where women are d- misdiagnosed and poorly treated unless their symptoms or diseases conform to men. This is so dumb. I've had a lot of uh, male gynecologists in the past and a lot of times they will misdiagnose you so basically i found out first of all i didn't find out i had endometriosis till i freaking came to germany okay so let me start with that i was never diagnosed until i came to germany when i was 25 24 when i was younger so first of all what is endometriosis it is uh, a disorder uh, technically i think it's qualified as a disease um where womb tissue grows somewhere else in your body. And this can cause extreme pain and sometimes infertility. And it takes on average eight years to diagnose this condition in the UK and 10 years in the US, even though it affects one in 10 women, which is nuts. Um, So like I never got a period growing up and I was always really concerned about that. There was just something wrong. And I finally went to the doctor and they were like, oh, you have a huge cyst on your ovary. And I was like, cool. So I had surgery probably when I was, maybe like 15. And then I had to go directly on birth control to stop it. Uh, so I didn't really have a choice in terms of birth control, I, I had to go straight on it. And then for years, uh, I always felt like something was wrong, I'd get really sharp stabbing pain, like I'd get really bad cramps, I'd be tired all the time. And I had no idea why. And when I was in Austin, uh, I would tell them, you know, like, hey, I've had cysts in the past. And they were like, you're totally fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. And for three years, I was just made to feel like I was crazy, and I moved to Germany. And within several months, I was like, okay, I physically can't even touch my my lower abdomen; like it really hurts to touch. We go to the doctor, we go to the hospital. She takes one look at me and she's like, "You've got a cyst the size of a baseball; like it's bigger than a baseball." And the whole time in Texas, I've been telling my OBGYN, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Like, I can feel it. Like, I know there's something wrong with me. And she was like, you're totally fine. They never caught it. I mean, this thing's been growing for years and you can't even tell me like what's going on. And so I had an emergency surgery because when you get cysts that big, your ovaries can contort contort themselves uh, and actually cut off blood supply to your ovaries and it can be life-threatening. So um, they did emergency surgeries in the hospital for four days and she said, you have endometriosis and what that means basically is i'm going to continue to grow cysts for the rest of my life even if i get a hysterectomy and have my ovaries and my uterus removed it can st- it still grows it can still grow it's a lifelong thing i'm going to continually have to have surgery so that's my long story but yeah it took what oh until i was let's say 15 to 24 almost almost 10
2: years to get diagnosed yeah
1: that's on par with the 10 years in the us
2: yeah so for me i also have endometriosis and um I started as soon as I got my period. So I was like 12 or 13 and had to go on birth control pretty much immediately because I got cramped so bad. And even then being on birth control didn't really help that much. And everybody was just like, it's just PMS. Everybody deals with it. Everybody deals with it. I would have to skip school. I had days where I literally was lying on the ground, the wood floor, because it was colder and would not get up. I passed out, like fainted. I almost went to the emergency room over it. Um, My blood pressure would drop. It was really, really bad. And people were just like, it's just cramps. It happens to everybody. Like you're just being dramatic or whatever. Um, But it was really, really impacting my life. And I would go to doctors all the time and they would just be like, well, you should change what birth control you're on. And so I tried all these different birth controls. And then finally, Um, Went to a doctor who considered that it was endometriosis, but then even then it was like, yeah, even if it is endometriosis, we just treat it the same way. So you'll just go on um, different birth control. And then I went on medication at one point that made it to that. I essentially went through like fake menopause for a while, but it like made my hair fall out and had all these awful side effects. And then Finally, I had surgery a couple years ago, and then they found growths on my digestive, urinary, and um, reproductive systems. So the endometriosis had kind of spread onto all those systems, which affects all of it. Um, And again, it's a chronic illness, so it's going to follow me my whole entire life, and I may have to have surgery every couple of years. I'll probably be on birth control for most of my life. Um, And then... In addition to that, uh, it also really impacts fertility. So that's something that I'll have to think about as well, if that's um, a route that I decided to go on. But it's one of those things that you get questioned so much and they always say it's just, you know, PMS and it's just cramps. Like, If you are going through this every month and you are having severe pain, that's not normal, no matter what they tell you. Um, You should not be going through that even though you're a woman. That's not normal. Make sure to press them on that, and um, hopefully you will get a diagnosis and treatment that will help you.
0: And sometimes it does require going to see a different doctor. Some some doctors just refuse to accept that there's anything wrong.
1: Part of the problem with that though is like not everyone has great access to healthcare or even has healthcare yeah. and can't afford it. Exactly. Like a lot of these endometriosis specialists are very A, they're not in the vicinity of where you live, and B, they can be really expensive.
2: I'm really lucky that I grew up in New England and so I could go into Boston Children's Hospital. At all. Boston Children's Hospital treats you until you're like 21, so it's not just like eight-year-olds. And my doctor there was a professor at Harvard about endometriosis, and he was incredible, like incredible. Um, And my, I guess I, I was part of like a study for them and all that, so that's really cool that hopefully it'll help other women down the road. But at the same point, I had to go to this doctor who was a complete specialist. And I was really lucky that um, I had insurance at that point. And also that I lived in the vicinity of a doctor who was a real expert on it. But the first couple of doctors that I went to, you know, on campus, because I was in college at the time and um, like primary care providers, they were all really dismissive and didn't really have any cure that they could do. So it really took going to an expert to finally get the help that I needed.
0: My favorite time going to the university clinic when I was gaining weight after switching birth control was the doctor telling me, birth control can't possibly cause you to gain weight. You're just eating too much. You need to change your diet. Like I really have not it's changed my diet hormones, whatsoever, and I'm definitely not eating too much. It's all hormonal, and it took me so long to find a birth control that works. And the reality is that birth control I I know at some point can also stop working the way it currently does, and I'm going to have to switch again.
1: I have run the gamut on pills. People take for granted how horrible birth control can be like we're not just talking the pill here i had the injection in my arm it's like a little metal or plastic rod in my arm Oh, i had the iud yeah and so yeah and to get it out she literally had to take a scalpel and cut my arm open and i'm gonna have a scar there for the rest of my life but then you've got things like the iud and like all these other things that can be really painful and dangerous you
0: literally you you borderline pass out it is so painful to actually get the IUD inserted. And I, after that one completely messed with my system, messed with my body, I I got it removed. And I swear I will, nev- I will never get an IUD ever again. So here I am taking a pill every single
1: day for the rest of a long time of my life. <sighs> Which I just also want to mention is really freaking hard when you switch time zones. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I'm it's sta- like, it's as so we true. Travel, this yeah. is another part. How do you maintain taking your birth control at the same time every day when you travel for work or for conferences? This is something I'm struggling with and it's really hard. I physically have to take this birth control or I'm going to grow massive cysts on my ovaries. It's some like I don't have a choice, but when you travel for work, like you have to like figure this out. It's it's something that men don't have to think about. Yeah. So in any case, I think the whole if we summed up this whole conversation, I think women's rights, all women's rights, not just straight white women, all women All women's rights are human rights. So we need to get rid of this default male.
0: And one final thing is to make sure you have women at the table to help make decisions because all these things that keep on getting forgotten and just forgotten is because there aren't women involved in the the conversations. And I know we've just reached the end of the episode. I so desperately want to talk about one more topic. So I'm just going to make it really, really, really fast. There are... Certain places where after a uh, disaster occurred, earthquake, hurricane, whatever it is, they had to rebuild. And in these certain countries, there were no women actually involved in the the planning process. And they completely forgot to build
1: kitchens inside homes. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. How big of an idiot do you have to be to build a freaking house and forget a kitchen? I it's just like I don't I understand. It, but-
2: like- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> no, I'm actually not kidding. I don't really have a kitchen in my apartment. <laughs> that's fine. But <laughs> yeah. hashtag New York City life. I <laughs> definitely agree. Like, how do you forget a kitchen? Well, it's because
1: it's no, it's because the men aren't the ones doing the cooking.
0: Yeah, they that's exactly the damn it. Food, the but the they don't cook the it.
1: Uh, <laughs> Women can figure something out. Yeah, exactly. Another to, to that point too, like in disaster areas, this really made me angry as well. And I think this happened with New Orleans when uh, the hurricanes hit, maybe even in Houston, um, a lot of the lower income housing was wiped out. They wanted to rebuild it with uh, more gentrified housing. Yep. And this really kicked out, especially women of color who, uh, you know, maybe couldn't afford it. It also not only, it's not just about the money. It's like their li- like their community was was ravaged. It was gone. Yeah. Uh, so when you are rebuilding these things, A, build a freaking kitchen in your homes. Uh, it's necessary. And B, like, Please don't destroy the ecosystem that was already there. I mean, like, you're literally displacing people, and now they have nowhere to go, and that's that's
0: not Nowhere right. to go. They have to go further out, and they actually end up losing their jobs because they cannot get to their current jobs because they're so far out. Because they're depending on public transit or walking is no longer available to them. So let's leave it at that, and let's conclude with just, like, did we do the ladybugs ratings of the book last yeah, time? Yeah,
1: we did. Oh, I think yeah, we did, we did.
0: Okay, I'm going to give this a solid three ladybugs. I think the book could have been a whole lot better if it was two thirds of the length. Um, it went on and on and on. And it, it it was there was a lot of really good points in it. I think I I have to say that there were some there were some statistics in there that honestly felt like a stretch to be concluding. Um, that you know it was a Correlation does not mean causation kind of situation, but I think it's it was still a very good eye-opening read overall.
1: I'm with you on that. I gave it, I gave it a solid three, especially because it wasn't fully inclusive. Um, again, I did think a lot of it was a stretch, but it started a conversation that I think is very important. Yeah,
2: I would third that where I also think it's three ladybugs. I think that there were a lot of statistical things in there that I was a little bit questioning of. There's this idea of spurious correlation, which is when you take two unrelated things that have similar trajectories and kind of put them on a graph together and are like, oh, these two things are related. Like yesterday I saw one that was like um, having a dog in your house will make it so that your kids are better readers or something like that. And that's like it's not necessarily what that means. It means that these two things are potentially correlated not that one's causing each other or not even that they're related just that these are two things that have a similar graph anyways so just thinking about that you can make two things that are um, are unrelated look related if you look at statistics certain ways so I think that's something to be cautious of and something that definitely I was noticing in this book another thing that I notice a lot is the I, and I like to say the plural of anecdotes isn't data. And sometimes you can string together stories and make it seem like there's this massive trend there, but you need to have an actual statistical study and uh, survey in order to make a full point. And so that's something that I noticed as well, is that sometimes like anecdotes were placed together in order to um, drive home a point. And I think that it would have been better if there was actual data there, but... Um, That being said, I think that it it brought together a lot of good conversations and this episode is really great. So I think that that's important and this book brought up a lot of really important points. So overall, I think a three Ladybug rating is good. I also wish that there was some sort of overarching narrative because I think that it got a little bit dry at points. and If there was something stringing it together, that could have made it a little bit more interesting. And I think to Kelly's point, a little bit of a shorter book may have been actually more poignant as well.
1: Yeah, agreed. Well, if this conversation made you as angry as it made us, uh, there was a lot of stuff we didn't touch as well. So I definitely would recommend reading it just with the caveat that it is not fully inclusive. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, this is probably one of the most important podcasts that we've done. Agreed. I completely agree. And if you made it all the way to the end
0: of this, because I'm currently seeing uh, an hour and 20 minutes –
2: Yeah, it's awesome. It's a long (laughs) episode. episode. But hopefully helpful and hopefully some interesting conversations.
1: Absolutely. And uh, next month's book, so March, we're going to be reading It Doesn't Have to be Crazy at Work. And I believe this was written by the guys who founded Basecamp. So I think… Yes, I, I don't know their names, but it'll be on our Goodreads page, which we will link in the show notes. Um, it's a phenomenal book. I am really excited to reread this. It's a very
0: quick read, which is great after reading this one. Um, you can I read the entire book in a day. It is a very fast read. The
2: ebook says it's only three hours long, so it should be quick.
0: And the audio, the audiobook is also very good, and it is so good. So please follow along. We'll have the we'll have the the post on uh, Goodreads so you can add your comments and your thoughts about it. We would love to include your uh, your
1: thoughts and when we record that episode. Awesome. And with that, we hope. Y'all have a great day and are just as fired up about this as we are. Let's make <laughs> awesome. some changes. If
2: you like this episode, tweet about it. We'll be giving away Smashing Magazine books, which is really, really exciting. And they are awesome. We've already given a bunch away. Also, leave us a review. We love reading your thoughts. See you next week.